and welcome to Kittenless Chris and Kanye, the podcast where we talk about the history of and take a not-too-deep look at our favorite things. I'm Audrey Stratton, and sadly, Carmen will not be joining me today. Unfortunately, our schedules didn't really align over the last couple of weeks to be able to record, and then when we finally did have time, Carmen fell ill. Boo. She's past the worst of it now. Hooray! But we still don't have a real episode for you, so that's another boo there. In the interest of being consistent with our release schedule, though, we do have a few deleted scenes that have been sitting in a folder for a rainy day. We weren't expecting it to happen within the first 10 episodes, but hey, what can you do? I promise that we won't have a lot of episodes like this, and I actually want to go ahead and just say that we have a lot of really ambitious episodes planned for the near future that we're really super excited about. So if this behind-the-scenes sort of episode isn't up your alley, please bear with us. I promise we're going to have a few hits coming up here really, really soon. That being said, first up, we have a sound test from one of our first few recordings. As far as sound tests go, I'm not sure it necessarily passes, but the microphone was picking both of us up. And to be honest, that was what we cared about most at the time. Here we go. Audrey. It is really bad. It's nasty. It's not yeah. na- nasty. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I was actually just thinking about it on my way back here from grabbing my cord. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was thinking about that opera guy on Scrubs where he's... There's that episode where Zach Braff imagines somebody following him around, and anytime he's going to make a bad decision, he's like, Mistake! <laughs> and for me, not treating this burn properly was oh, one of those things. Mistake. Yeah. Mm. So. <laughs> Battle wounds, was really, And to be fair, like, I honestly thought it was going to be a first degree burn until like 12 hours later I was in the shower and like half of it just peeled off and, you and I was like oh it has not been enough time for it to have yep, peeled yep. enough to start peeling yeah that was defo defo a second the skin off. <laughs> whoops Yikes. and then it you know was made worse by the fact that I did in fact decide to draw Bill Cipher <laughs> <laughs> it was a triangle shaped burn like yeah. what was I yeah, you know, of you have no course. other option at that point. <laughs> of course I'm going to draw Bill Cipher. Of course. What else am I going to do? I like it. Okay. Um, we're good to go? Yeah, we're good to go. Next up, we have a deleted scene from the Beauty and the Beast episode. We tend to prepare a lot of material for our more in-depth episodes, like more material than we actually intend on using. And I had originally planned a whole segment where I talked about adaptations written after Disney's 1991 movie. The episode ended up being plenty long without it, so it got cut entirely, but if you're interested in hearing what some of my recommendations are for pretty good adaptations, and also what to stay away from, this might be right up your alley. I'm going to go over some retellings of Beauty and the Beast um, that have come out since then. Mm-hmm. You could honestly Google a list of like retellings of Beauty and the Beast, and you will get lists that are like 50 to 100 items long. Oh, yeah. Between the novels that have been rewritten and the the movies that have been made like there's so many different versions and i'm actually going to even make a couple of stretches here and like kind of show you like this is a really important story Mm -hmm. 
and you'll look at some of these things differently. Um, I'm not going to do a whole lot of summaries like I've done up to this point, so we don't have another like hour of just listening to me <laughs> summarize these. But <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I was enjoying it. <laughs> oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks. Uh, but I am going to break it down to like comparing Belle's characteristics, her family situation, which obviously you can tell up to this point has been changed mm-hmm. a lot yeah. and, and been shaped in different ways. Her tragic backstory, how Belle becomes imprisoned in the castle, what her situation in the castle is, the beast's characteristics, the requirements for breaking the spell, and what the resolution is. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, pretty extensive list but, yeah, but those are all, all the important points of yeah. yeah the first one i'm going to go over is beastly <laughs> i never <laughs> saw that but i wasn't right you know to be fair i didn't remember that that existed until you just said it <laughs> that was a thing <laughs> yeah now it was actually a book before it was made into a movie oh i don't know if you knew that not. yeah and the movie changes from the book quite a bit and not just in the sense of like oh man i wish that they kept in these details and these details mm-hmm. but like it's really fascinating how different the books are huh. or the book is compared to the movie yeah. i read the book first um and then i watched the movie the book is different in that it tells the story from the beast's point of view mm-hmm. which is it's not a unique idea it's been done a couple of times But it allows for kind of a more interesting dynamic, I guess, between the Beast and and Beauty, especially when he is given a temper, which I don't appreciate that, obviously. But in this book, he is given a temper and we kind of see his own inner growth from that. Belle, in this book, her name is Linda. She's sometimes called Lindy. She is very bookish. She is a bit shy and she is caring towards her father. She is... An only child, like mm-hmm. she is in, in Disney's version. And she actually has a crush on Alex. They are both going to the same private school. Alex, which is the name of the beast. Right. I don't know if I established that, but Alex is the name of the okay. beast. He is this like rich, egotistical snob. He's largely ignored by his like super famous newscaster dad. <laughs> uh, so you can imagine the development problems there. Yeah, sure. But he's popular, and so it's kind of interesting that she doesn't really see that jerk, like, egotistical side of him. Yeah. she It's just she kind of that, like... boy. Yeah, and so I think that's really interesting yeah. because it's very true to life, really you know? Natural. like that It's... Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's a bit of escapism for her as well, because her father is a drug addict. Oh, uh, and so they both live in poverty, and she is in this school on a scholarship. Oh, wow. The... This is so weird. The way that Beauty comes to stay in the Beast's castle, and I say that in quotes, yeah. because they live in modern-day New York, is actually very traditional. The father trespasses on the Beast's property uh-huh. and actually crashes into his rose garden, which... Once he turns into a beast, like, his father sends him to this, like, fancy house next to the river, uh-huh. and he fixes it up, and he makes this rose garden, and yeah, so Linda's father, like, crashes into this garden, and Alex is like, no! Yeah. <laughs> you have to bring me your daughter now! 
yikes. To so at this point, atone for this, or I'm going to charge you with trespassing. Yeah, so at this point is, like, the the Alex, he's just completely off the, like, out of the picture now. Like, no one really knows what happened to him or anything. Yeah, yeah. Fun little detail, though. He joins a chat room, like, this support group for other people that have been cursed oh, oh that's really cool, <laughs> so actually. like it brings in yeah it brings in this idea that like the little mermaid yeah. is also happening at the same time and like yeah. the princess and the frog is also happening at the same time this and so the frog is like people <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're all there to kind of like try and support each other Aww. it's really cute Alex has a private tutor. He has a housekeeper. So he's not too lonely, but he brings Linda in. Um, and when he realizes that, like, if he is going to get her to love him, he's got to lose the ego. He's got to chill out. Yeah, got to chill. He kind of becomes angsty because, like, oh, poor me. I'm a teenager that's ugly. <laughs> it's kind of... It's funny to watch. Yeah. Uh, but then he has a desire to, like, actually learn and better himself and do good. The requirements for breaking the curse is true love's kiss, mm -hmm. which is really interesting because at the end of the book, he's like, please, like, you've got to kiss me. <laughs> I know I'm hairy, but you've just got to kiss me. I'm running out of time. Uh, and it's really cool because after Lydia does that, or Linda Sorry. I'm pretty sure her name's Linda. Now I'm doubting my notes. <laughs> oh, well, if you're listening to this and you know which one it is, then sorry, <laughs> just pretend that I was saying the right one. Um, but yeah, like, Lindy and Alex go back to school. They're in love, and they just keep on living their life as teenagers. There's no, like, oh, well, we were going to graduate as seniors anyway. Like, they're actually still fairly young, mm -hmm. and they do have to go back to school. <laughs> and so I really like this idea of, like, just go this happens over the course of, like, a year, and they get this private tutor, and so they're still educated. Right. And <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay. Remember that time that I was gone? <laughs> I was a beast. I was a beast. It's cool. Yeah, the movie changes quite a few things. Um, Lindy is no-nonsense. She's kind of bookish, but mostly she's just, like, got the attitude of, like, I've had a hard life. Yeah, you don't get to tell me what I get to think. And, but she still has a crush on Alex. Yeah, that's pretty um, Her father is a criminal. Um, it's implied that he has drug abuse problems and then... At the end, when she wants to leave the, the castle, uh, it's because he OD'd. Oh. Um, <laughs> she ends up at Alex's house because he was stalking her. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he just happens to see this exchange where her dad shoots a guy. Because he's a criminal and, you know, has problems. And Alex, like, takes some pictures and basically blackmails him. What? Really? To taking Lindy to his house. It's super, super messed yeah. up. Neil Patrick Harris is in the movie, Aww. which I know you have mixed feelings about Neil Patrick Harris, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. But I think he does a really good job of... Um, he's, a, he's the tutor. He's the private tutor at this mm -hmm. house. And he's blind. And so he gets a lot of really good opportunity to deliver these, like, blind man jokes. Yeah. And I think that, if anything, like, he's really good at delivering those, like, hmm... You have it tough, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorts of well, jokes. Well, I can't see. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah, I know so. exactly what is like I know exactly what facial expression he has in the movie and I haven't even seen it. Like that's <laughs> that's how obsessively like oh, I just I do I just don't like him. <laughs> I can't explain it. Yeah, Alex's characteristics are pretty much the same as they are in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh he doesn't require a kiss to become his handsome self again. It's just an admission of love. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards Lindy and Alex travel the world oh. instead of going back to school because that's how you that's, do things okay. when you're a teenager. Right. <laughs> that's how it works. Well, it's nice to think yeah. about. Yeah. There's, as I mentioned, a couple of other versions of Beauty and the Beast that's told from the Beast's point of view. There's a book called Simply Beast mm-hmm. by Donna Joe Napoli. He is actually Prince of Persia and he is also Muslim. And so a lot of the book focuses on his um, religion Mm -hmm. and how he tries to continue to stick to his religion despite being turned into a beast. Mm -hmm. And by being turned into a beast, it's not like this weird half-human, half-beast, like, animal sort of thing. He is straight up turned into a lion. Just (laughs) a lion. Okay. (laughs) Simple. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot to get through to, before you get to the familiar uh, story, beauty. Yeah. The familiar story. I, I didn't particularly enjoy it because you don't meet Belle until page like 167, Yeah, which is a lot to get yeah, through. It is. And it's only like a 230 page book. So there's not a whole lot with her in wow. it. I think that having a religious beast is kind of an interesting take yeah, on it. It is. And he has to try and get a woman to fall in love with him, which the obvious issue is that if you can't talk, right, how, how are you going to do that? that? That's how they got Ariel. Yeah. 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 And the book just kind of ends when he turns back to human, like there's no follow through at all. So it's, I, I don't know mm. if you, if you're more fascinated by the character of the beast, that's a good place yeah, to go. It seems to focus more on him. Yeah, I'm not particularly interested in that, though. So that was not one of my favorites. One of my favorite retellings, though, a more modern, well, written recently, but doesn't take place in modern times, is a book simply called Beauty and the Beast. The author's name is K.M. Shea. And it's fairly traditional in that, like, you've got the beast, you have the enchanted castle, and you have beauty that ends up there. Um because not because he's imprisoning her but because of something else uh she actually ends up falling through one of his skylights and breaks her ankle so she has to stay there to to recover and because it takes place in like i don't know late 1700s or whatever like you can't take her back home because that's a long journey and she has a broken ankle first yeah um I, I would recommend it because it takes a few of the, the plot elements and it changes it in a way that's very, very engaging for both characters. So Beast is not confined to his castle. He is a cursed prince from a evil witch. So it's not really because of any fault of his mm-hmm. own. And he just kind of has come to terms with living that way. He still keeps in touch with his family. He has a brother and his brother is kind of getting ready to take over the throne because his older brother is just kind of like, eh, the people don't really want a beast king. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, just going to make that assumption. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. The servants are all mute, um, and they all have masks, which is kind of Ooh, weird, but kind like of spooky. Yeah, it is kind of spooky. Uh, it's interesting though. It, it again makes it kind of engaging for Belle to be in this place. That's like, it's not completely mystical, but it's like, but it's just off enough on? that you're just like, what it's is like this weird on? Yeah. 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 At least with at least with moving like silverware and you know utensils. At least mm-hmm. you know. Okay, this is crazy. This is actually crazy yes. magic. But this, you're like, this seems normal. <laughs> yeah, there's just a few things that are <laughs> off. Yeah, the beast is. He's aloof. He's very intelligent. Uh, Belle is also very intelligent. She is very mysterious. She doesn't really want to talk to him about his past, and so a lot of the interactions and a lot of the storytelling comes from them trying to get to know each other and build this relationship, despite the fact that they don't really want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, the curse is still broken the same way as it is traditionally. Mm-hmm. A woman has to fall in love with the beast. He doesn't think that he deserves love. He's not sure that he wants it. He's not happy being a beast, but he's just like, I don't want people to pity me or anything like that. Uh, And so, like, the ending is really interesting in how the curse resolves. Uh, The the story actually goes on for another uh, 20, 30 pages Hmm. after the curse is broken. Because, like, they both have their egos that they have to get over in order to get get together. So it's really, it's an interesting retelling. And I think it's one that's definitely worth checking out. Um, I read a book called A Court of Thorns and Roses. It is a grown-up book, so okay, <laughs> expect some more adult themes. Noted. And I don't just mean, like, sexy times, but there are some images of violence in there that mm-hmm. were actually really hard to stomach. Hmm. I was kind of crazy about the idea behind this book, though, because it involves fairies and the fairies fairy are politics. Back. <laughs> They're back! The original plot point. Yeah. Uh, instead of just one fairy, though, the beast is actually a fairy as well. What? Yeah. Plot twist. It takes place... Uh, yeah, so it takes place in this world where humans and fairies... Uh, used to live together not peacefully the fairies used to enslave the humans but there was this war the kingdom split up now there's this big wall separating the fairies and the humans and they're just kind of separate from each other and there's like like this horrible racism that humans have now where they're like all fairies are bad wow that's pretty unique uh Uh, yeah it's a it's a it is a unique take and i think it's a really good commentary on racism yeah absolutely. how that can be like a huge obstacle in overcoming um you know your perception on people when was this one written ah oh, shoot i don't remember i don't have that in my notes but it was fairly recently right. within the last couple decades uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah beauty is a survivor her family does not do much to contribute to their situation which is very very bad Instead of being bookish, though, she is artistic. She actually, I don't think she can read. Hmm. Nope, she cannot read in this one. So she is artistic instead. She's taken by the beast because she actually ends up killing a fairy in disguise. Uh, The fairy is disguised as a wolf and he's out wandering the human realm. She kills him by accident because she needs to eat. And she's like, well, there's a large wolf, so that's me. And also, I need to defend myself because he's noticed me and I don't want to die. Yeah, yeah. understandable. And this, uh, the beast, 
in this version, he actually comes by and takes her away saying like you now have a debt to pay like you killed one of my servants so now i get to take you like a life for a life situation uh-huh. he is a high fairy and so he is very handsome oh. just want to point that oh. out he has been cursed by another fairy very very evil fairy and he and his court uh are all forced to have masks on so like here's an interesting like theme that shows up in in a lot of modern retellings Uh is like masks you can't see who they truly are behind the masks i think it's a good way to kind of have that sort of yeah idea of like it's not you don't see somebody's true self without yeah you don't have to resort to now he's a candlestick yeah (laughs) yeah a little bit Uh, more natural (laughs) Yeah, they can't talk about the curse, which is part of the curse. Yeah. And honestly, like the beast is just doing his best. He's just trying to break this curse because yeah. it's not a, just affecting him, but it's affecting his court. And he is a genuinely good guy that carries that cares about the people around yeah. him. Um, she has to confess confess her love to him, which is really hard for her to do, even after she falls in love with him. Yeah. And, like, again, this is an adult book, so she falls in love with him, like, a third of the way through, and then they, like, you know, have a pretty stereotypical do the thing. Do the thing. The thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we talk about, didn't we talk about, um, summaries of romantic, like, novels? Yes. (laughs) I feel like the giggles would be gone at this point, but it's just... No, they're not. I'm still gonna be like I'm still gonna be 14 years old when it comes to things Uh, like that. uh, mm, mm. Uh, uh, uh. The laugh, the laugh. No, so I don't know. It's in a series of books. I just read the first one. Uh, It wraps up pretty neatly at the end. It obviously leaves a lot of stuff open for a continuation of the series. I don't know that I really liked the book enough to keep reading yeah. it, but what I did read, I was like, yeah, it is okay. interesting. It's got a lot of things that one. I like. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you said that there's like dozens and dozens of versions. If you search up different versions of the Beauty and the Beast story, are there any where there it's gender swapped? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I figured there had yeah. to be. <laughs> it's and it's kind of an interesting like gender study question. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of discussion online about it, like how hard it is to pull off a gender swapped version, because it's not, it's just not quite the same. I mean, I I don't want to say it's not quite the same, but I mean, people don't, people wouldn't treat it the same if it was. No, no, they wouldn't. So I have an example of a good version that's been pulled off and a bad version that's been pulled off. Oh, wow. Okay. The bad version is She's All That, that has Freddie Prince Jr. in it. Because if you think about it. If you think about it, it is kind of a gender-swapped version of Beauty and the Beast. I guess. Yeah. yeah I, I guess I can kind of see that. I didn't I didn't initially see it. And there's a few, like, characteristics that tend to, like, mix between the two. But for the most part, like, Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, like, he's a bit egotistical and he has to kind of get over that by the end of the mm-hmm. film. Obviously, he takes on a challenge it's a a dare given to him by his friends that like hey if you can fix up this girl and make her look nice like 
you know, it's a challenge to his ego. Yeah. It's not necessarily a, like, thing that he has to do because he is a good person. Right. But he becomes a good person over the course of mm -hmm. the movie. Whereas Rachel Lee Cook's character is very clearly kind of like the beast. Yeah. Where, like, she dresses kind of frumpy. She's really weird. She's actually very egotistical. Mm -hmm. Part of the movie is her kind of realizing that she cannot act all high and mighty all the time. Yeah. She cannot be this... I mean, she's a hipster, yeah, she right? She's, she's an early all. version of the, the 2010s hipster. Yep. Or, you know, oh, yeah, well, I'm artsy and I'm above it all. Yep. She's pretty condescending, too. Where, you know, and, and uh, the reason why I call it a gender flipped version is because like she has to become prom queen in order for Freddie Prince Jr. to win the bet, mm -hmm. which is kind of like everybody has to fall in love with her yeah. rather than just one guy for the, the curse to break. <laughs> That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's pulled off particularly well simply because like it's got a real, lot of really sexist themes oh, yeah. to it. Like, you know, beauty fix is important girl. and yeah, you've got to fix her because she's not pretty and uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, a teen movie, right? Yeah, it is. But I think a good version of the gender flipped story of Beauty and the Beast is Penelope. Oh, totally. The reason why it works is because the character of the Beast is a more traditional version where it's not her fault mm -hmm. that she is so ugly, right? right? It is somebody that cursed her family a long, long time ago. So it's not her fault. And she is, by nature, very clever. And she's earnest. Mm -hmm. And she's very sweet. And she has parents that lack priority, but she loves them anyway. And I think that she's a really great character. And... It's just getting over her looks that people have to get mm -hmm, over, right? For sure. The curse breaks when somebody of, you know, an in quotes nobility falls in love with her. So part of the plot is finding someone of nobility that will fall in love with her. Mm -hmm. um, and I like the plot twist that she accepts herself yeah, it's for who really she is. And that's what breaks the curse. It's so cute. Yeah. It's a good movie. I love that actress. Yeah. Yeah, she's really good, and James McAvoy is the Bell version. He's so young. <laughs> he's, he's so young in that, and like I like that he's a bit of a scoundrel, yeah, but, but he's still just, he falls know, really in love with her anyway. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I love that movie good one. so much. on the list we have what is actually the very first thing we recorded this was kind of sort of what we wanted to talk about as a warm-up to our first episode but we had so much kanye exclusive stuff to talk about that it ultimately ended up getting cut which was too bad because we had a lot of fun deciding what carmen's author alter ego writes uh as her career i also just want to make the comment that i do edit out my pen name in this for multiple reasons First, the thing that I wrote and kind of put out there is just bad writing. No one needs to subject themselves to that, even out of curiosity. Second, I was a much different person back then, and there are some ideas that I wrote about and alluded to that I didn't have a very educated opinion on. One of the main protagonists makes a pretty homophobic comment, which super duper isn't great. It's super not great. 
There's also a lot of pretty messed up relationships going on between a lot of the characters, including girls being really catty to each other and a couple of emotionally manipulative characters getting their way through the abuse of their victims. And had I pulled any of those things off in a way that clearly painted them in a negative light, I would probably be okay with leaving my pen name in the pod. As it is, I'm not a very skilled writer and I really don't want anybody to think that I'm okay with any of those mentioned behaviors. Let's, oh, shoot. Carmen, I have five Google accounts. Why? Why do you have that many? <laughs> okay, because confession time. Um, there was mm, a dark, dark time of my life where I thought, hey, I will be like this novelist that... <laughs> that doesn't sound dark. <laughs> it was... It was... It gets dark. So, first of all, it was during my depression, so mm-hmm. that really didn't help. Um, so, I came up with a pseudonym, and I was like, I'm going to set up my entire online identity based off of this pseudonym. Yeah. And... Uh, so I have a Google account for this, uh, pretend author and (laughs) I haven't logged on to it for forever, but I imagine that there is actually probably a couple of emails in there from people who are like, you said that we were going to get book two (laughs) (laughs) and it never happened in January of 2013. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's just leave those alone. what's What's, what's her name? Oh, I'll tell, no. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. Okay, okay. If this gets onto the pod, though, I'm not... I'm editing it out yeah, because fine. I don't... That's fine. So her name is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's pretty good. Because I'm... I decided that one of my secret talents is that I am actually really good at coming up with author names. <laughs> so I did this for everybody in the bakery a couple of years ago. Yeah. I got, like, like Faith... Uh, Stein, oh, no, like Steinman. Mm-hmm. Faith Steinman was Faith one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Just God, like I read her stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, um, wrote um, urban fantasy. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> and the first one, um, actually, they all had an element of vampires in them. Nice. Um, so the first one was focused on vampires, and the second one was going to be focused on ghosts. And I had everything except for, like, the end of the... I'm going to turn this off. Yeah. I had everything except for the end of the um, second act written. Wow. So I even had the ending and everything. Yeah. And then I was just like... I got better, and I was in a different place. And he just didn't want to bother finishing And it. I didn't know. So I told you mine. Now that you get happens. to tell me yours. Okay, well, at least you have, like, to your to your pseudonym's credit, at least it has something um, to show for it. Because I didn't write anything, but I still had a name. It was Margaret Lorraine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. So <laughs> Margaret Lorraine writes. They are romance novels, but they don't get shelved as romance novels uh-huh. because they are actually also... Murder mysteries. <laughs> so she's real. So she exists. No, 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 no. Oh, that's what Margaret. That's what. Margaret. That's what Margaret Lorraine. Okay, writes. I. Okay, I will. I will mold myself to this character. I'll, I'll make it happen. <laughs> I've never written romance before, but like, how hard can it be, right? <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Wow. That is a very specific genre. I need to follow through with that. Actually. <laughs> no, Margaret. Margaret Lorraine writes whatever she wants. You find. Actually, no, I also like this idea. Margaret Lorraine, 
You find her everywhere. She has written two nonfiction books on. One second. Um, asparagus farming. <laughs> one of them's on asparagus farming. The other is a memoir of her travels through um, the South East <laughs> United States. It's a wonderful region. <laughs> <laughs> every every chapter title has the um word swamp written in somewhere <laughs> just like snuck in there for thematic purposes <laughs> there's a pun on swamps in there and then um her fiction books include one poetry book um and then one book that is written first person point of view journal style about a young woman from Arkansas. <laughs> How are you doing this? <laughs> I am so impressed. Who falls in love with an asparagus farmer. There we go. <laughs> even though he is 15 years her elder. Wow. That's a whirlwind of emotions. <laughs> I'd read it. I'd write it. I'd have to. I'm Margaret. I'm her. That's somewhere in me. I have it in me somewhere. Yeah, I know. I I, I do feel a little bad about the death of, but you know, you, you gotta grow. Yeah. Well, and I I can only be depressed for so long. Yeah. So I, exactly. Like I had a, I had a really weird stage with my poetry where I was just like, it's very E. E. Cummings esque. Um, and I just, like, moved on from it because, one, I can't really do it like I used to be able to do it anymore, you know, just because I'm not in that same, like, mindset. But it's just also something I just want to move forward from. Yeah. Not super yeah. into revisiting right. that. Yeah, no kidding. I'm like, that second book that I never finished, I'll go back and I'll read the ending. And it's just like, I spent 50 pages wrapping up this, like, nice, happy ending. <laughs> like, it's so sad because, like, that is a good chunk of a regular length novel yeah. that's going towards a happy ending. And if that's not indicative of what I wanted at the time, yeah, then exactly. <laughs> I don't know what is. But it's also indicative of really bad writing skills. So <laughs> Yeah, um, Michael's really... Michael's really uh who what author is it um but they I can't remember who it is but they're just like if you can say it in less words do you know mm -hmm. um which I it just explains like it just explains why he hates uh Tolkien so much because mm -hmm. he takes like 20 pages to describe a bush or a tree or something like right that. yeah which um there's something to be said for like good description and you know like imagery and stuff like that but I mean to carry a story you know. Right, yeah, and Nick says pretty much the exact same thing about Charles Dickens as he mm. was paid to write by the word rather than, you know, by the novel. And so I I get it because, like, I I don't think I finished Great Expectations, not the full-length novel anyway. I read, I read an abridged version in high school, and, like, my dad has this massive library, so of course he has, like, 17 Charles... Yeah. I don't even know if Charles Dickens has written it's that essential. many books, but, you know, he has a lot of Charles Dickens books, and uh, so I was like, well, I'm just going to read the whole thing instead of this abridged version that's, you know, coming out of my English textbook. And I started to, and I was like, this is the worst. This is actually the worst. I did, like, A Tale of Two Cities, 
I did still have to spark notes it. Yeah. <laughs> Confession. Yeah. But by the time I got through it, I was like, yeah, okay, I, I, uh, I can get on board with this. Yeah. I started Tale of Two Cities, and it's one of the books that I do claim that I've read, but I really just could not tell you anything about it. <laughs> I was like that with the Scarlet Letter. Yeah. That was another one that actually, that was the only book in high school that I just like read about mm, 15 pages out of, and yeah. then I was like you know what, I'll just spark notes it. And yeah. if I fail these quizzes, then I fail these That's quizzes. Fine. But I just, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. I don't know what it is about. I mean, I, I know that classics are important for whatever reason, but man, I just feel like the curriculum in high school, like English literature classes has not changed for a long time. Everyone reads Great Gatsby. Everyone reads Scarlet Letter. Everyone reads My Antonia which was my scarlet letter. I just mm-hmm. could not finish it. I did finish it eventually years later. Um, I'd like to see some new stuff, though. Like, I don't know. I feel like modern literature is just as important as classic literature, especially for kids, like, in high school. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I had, um, so I had the same high school English teacher for three out of the four years that I went to high school. Oh, just you through, said like, that they kept moving up and... Yeah, and yeah, he just kept on switching around, and he did the AP classes, and then he did, like, the, the English one classes anyway, and then it just so happened that the year that I did English too, he was also teaching English too. So, yeah, for my freshman, sophomore, and senior year of high school, I had the same English teacher, and for basically the remedial English one class, they did get to read Harry Potter. And so I'm sitting here in English one honors or English two honors. And I'm like, I wanna read Harry but Potter. I want to read Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> well, even though you've already read it, but you want to like, you want to get graded for knowing yeah. Harry Potter super well. Yeah. Wow. But this is also, this is also the uh, English teacher that had us analyze Napoleon Dynamite for a oh, week. Oh my gosh. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a mixed blessing when you get to participate in learning about something that you love. Yeah. Um, you take some, you yeah, give you some. some, you take some. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a teacher in college that, um, for the first like 10 minutes, she just raved about Twilight. And I mean, I like Twilight. I understand what, where it is, <laughs> like where it belongs in the world of literature. Yeah, and it doesn't, sure. it just doesn't belong in, in a, in a college class. And she was just like, Bella Swan is like the modern female. Like she represents every female in the world right now. And I was like, I don't, I don't accept no, this. <laughs> no, I do not. I don't accept. I don't accept Don't this. call me she's, female if, if she's representative. Of yeah. Me. I don't want to, I don't want to be associated with that. And it's, it's only just because she's so boring, you know, All and right. it, that, if she might've meant it like, you know, she's the every man and not the every man. I don't know, like, she's, you're, you can easily put yourself in her position, which I'm, I don't doubt that Stephanie Meyer meant to do that, you know, just kind of meant to draw in readers so that they could pretend that they were a part of this story and stuff. Right, yeah. Because she lacks description, she lacks personality, and really any sure, like, definitive traits. Yeah, sure, and I mean, the whole point of reading is, is escapism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, obviously, fiction, like... You want to escape to this world, and what makes the main character so important is that that is the reader surrogate. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be the person doing this thing, even if you are a, you know, white female 20-something. If there is a black male teenager in this story, like, he still has to be relatable in some way, and the problem is that... (laughs) 
Bella's just so boring that it's yeah. not relatable. No, it's, it's, it's not relatable You don't at want all. to relate to her. You no, don't you don't. Be, uh, yeah. I've never related to that idea of putting yourself in the character's shoes as much as I have until, like, or since I started playing Zelda. Mm-hmm. But I dress him up so that, it like, he can be mistaken as a girl possibly oh really of, yeah. i like that yeah he has there's there's this outfitted i think it's the sheikah like sneaky outfit or something i put on and i always wear it because he has a little bun on top of his head and it just looks like a little me running around this world <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun it's incredible oh that's awesome yeah. There were a couple of books in high school that I did absolutely love. And the first one was Fahrenheit 451. Mm -hmm. And that one just absolutely changed my life. Um, You know, and I I don't use this term hyperbolically because it really did change the way that I thought about how I read things and um, what things I read. So you have Guy Montag, who is just kind of an everyman. He's in this relationship with his wife, who is very disconnected from everything except for the things that she can actually physically like hook herself up to. So she's, you know, in this pretend world, there's this program where she can interact with this like pre-recorded group of people and she's given a script and this is what she enjoys doing. And he doesn't feel any connection to her. And even though I've been fortunate enough to not be in a relationship like that, um, I think that that is something that a lot of people can really relate to. And uh, the book just hits the ground running. It's not long. It doesn't have a lot of time yeah. to um, establish this world. So Bradbury just kind of establishes it as he goes. So, yeah, Montag sees this book. He picks up this book in the first few pages, and he's curious about it. And he's curious about why they burn books. And he ends up collecting them and and then having to run from the law. And as someone who read probably a couple of books a week Mm -hmm. in, in middle school and in high school, that was something that I was like, yeah, I would be that person where I was just collecting them. Yeah. Yeah. And then it also, um, got me on track to like loving dystopian novels. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was one book that changed my life. The other book that we read, I think this was my sophomore year of high school was a separate piece. Mm. And um, it's about an all boys school uh, that takes place uh, during World War II. And of course, because it is during a time of war, they want to all be heroes. And they're just kind of all bummed out that they're too young to be heroes. Um, So that's the setting, but it's actually more about the dynamic between the narrator and his best friend. And his best friend is the guy that does everything perfectly. He breaks all of the sports records. Mm -hmm. He makes everybody laugh. He's the guy that comes up with this game that they all play that they're just like, yeah, we play this game that this guy made up. Like, this is what we do. It's just, you know, everything comes so naturally. And I actually really related to both characters because I was a perfectionist. So I did want to believe that, like, I was perfect at everything, but I also knew that like deep down inside, the truth was there were other people that were taking much more naturally to it. And so, um, those two books I think were, were, they are considered classics. Um, but they, they definitely had, I think a positive influence on, on my life. Um, and I can't remember, did you say that you read Frankenstein when you were in high school? I did. Yeah. That was, that was another English class assignment. And did you like it the first time around? Um, I was kind of 
taken uh, I was kind of blindsided by it yeah. because of course like my my perception of it had always been like the you know shambling eight foot green like bolts in Bol- his neck yeah, going, where did that even, yeah I wonder where that even came from that whole image no. it took me by surprise too yeah. it was a lot more beautiful than I was expecting oh yeah absolutely I mean it's definitely a horror um mm-hmm. well that like at some points but then it's just turns into a tragedy. Well, end. yeah, because it, it does beg the question, like those of us who are naturally given life, do we take life for granted? Yeah. And I think the answer is yes, because Absolutely. Mary Shelley creates this character that is not alive naturally. And he appreciates life more than anybody. Yeah. And it's so like, you just feel his pain and knowing that like he is, for all intents and purposes, an abomination, yeah. which is something that none of us have to deal with, yep. like, ever. Yeah. yeah, that book, I the first time around reading it, I really, really didn't like it, and I had to just, like, trudge my way through it. But then we read it for uh, some English class in college, and it just, like, really, really took me by surprise. I remember sitting at the top floor of the English building reading it and crying as I was reading it, and then the guy next to me asking me if I was okay, and I just flashed him, like, the cover, and he's just kind of like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really, really emotional Thanks for joining me today and sticking around. And I feel kind of weird starting to talk about this on what is not a real episode, but we keep forgetting to talk about our social media. You can find us on Twitter at Kittens and Kanye and on Instagram is Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. We'd really love to hear from you. And if you like what we do normally, we'd also really appreciate it if you took the time to leave a review for us on iTunes or recommend your favorite episode to your friends on social media. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I promise we'll have something really exciting coming up really soon. Until then, I'm going to leave you with one last clip. Our opinion on marzipan. Bolita. Bolita. Okay, where are my notes? <laughs> no, strong bad is just too relatable. Too relatable? How is it that it used to late? be the most annoying character on there? <laughs> That's a hard contest, actually. It's a really hard contest. And it's a hard contest because Marzipan exists, so yeah, she, there's that. She's the worst, and then I feel obligated <laughs> to like, worst. kind of like her because she is the only like female character on there. I'm like, hey, girl power, but oh my gosh. <laughs> You're just like a broom like yeah. that just talks, and it's so strange, and uh, I don't get it. Well, and not only that, but like because of the absurdity of like the entire world, she ends up being like the stereotypical naggy girlfriend, mm-hmm. which normally wouldn't be that bad. I mean, it's still a bad stereotype, but yeah. like... Just go with it, Marzipan. Just go with it. Yeah, just own it. <laughs> just, own it. Just listen. We get it. You're the only one that's actually like a rational. I'm almost called her a almost human, human being. being. <laughs> oh, the, uh, rational.